<laughs> well, I'm recording, but you said most of the cool stuff. What we were saying was, <laughs> after finishing this chapter, I almost felt like I, I definitely felt like. I wanted to read the next Daenerys chapter, but well, especially when you're looking down the barrel, and we're not going to get to the next Danny chapter for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> right. So it's like that's why you want to read it. Yeah. You're like, I'm not going to read this for another six right. months. <laughs> well, but also we were thinking so much about the the chronology between all of the characters, not just specifically where they were, but mm-hmm. these last two Danny chapters, the one in our last episode and this one was her waking up the next morning and the the chapter previously was uh the morning came too soon right and so now she's here and it's time for the great games i mean the same argument could be made for her flight to wherever they eventually end up her and drogon because it's like how long were they flying in that gap we're going through a huge section of a dance of dragons so that might change i don't know but i do i just loved when originally ending the the reading order with Daenerys 10 just feels so mm, powerful. Yeah, it carries so much weight with it. Mm, well said. So how are you, Zs? Pretty good. Um, you know, quarantine's treating me better than most, I, I guess. Um, my life has not changed as much <laughs> as some people's might have. You've been chopping any corn half-hand quarantine-related puns lately? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not, now, now you are. <laughs> yes. Corn. It's like nudging you <laughs> on the right track. It's a good one. <laughs> I, I like uh, uh, Emmett Booth. He's porquantine. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, quick, change their Twitter handles. The new theme. The uh, the San Diego Padres changed their uh, Twitter handle to Madres for a day because of Mother's Day. That's but cute. some some other guy snuck in and took Padres away from them. So. <laughs> Oh, that's not Madres cute. Now. They didn't park it immediately. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, risky. So that's how I'm doing. That story about the Padres is how I'm doing. Don't lose history of Westeros for like history of Westeros. Don't be tempted, dude. Well, uh, we didn't start recording right when we should have originally at the beginning of this episode. So sorry about that. The only <laughs> that's okay. All that you guys missed from the beginning really was us just saying that it was. This was a really fun chapter to read, and it's kind of been a long time coming because we we all know this is a very pivotal moment for Daenerys' character, but also, as you were saying, this is kind of the the height of it. Right. This is like her, the, dang, I can't remember the... the <laughs> what was that eloquent line <laughs> yeah, you said before? The, I said something really smart when we were talking about it before. Well, I, the, whatever the literary term is, I can't remember right now in this exact second. Her but climax. The, yeah, this is the climax of her of her story, very much so, and... It's an unbelievable chapter. I love this chapter so much. And that's why you want to get to the next chapter so badly because we finally have been building and building and building and building. And we get to this chapter that ends with her, no spoilers, but flying away on her, on her dragon, which is such a thrill. And I feel like everything in this chapter from the moment that we meet back up with her or with her, um, when she's in the bath all the way until, the very end is just a huge, glittery, colorful, exciting thrill ride. So this is a really good one. There's a moment in the pits when she's looking around and you see the collection of Glazaglare's people. You see all the, the graces and you see and you hear Resnick talking about things. And he's also in the their procession mm-hmm. on the way to the pits and the brazen beasts being there as well. There's just like a. It's like a casual decoration of all those characters that we've been 
sort of getting to know throughout A Dance of Dragons, but it's also these are people that we didn't really warm to enough to add them in our lexicon of people that we love. To add them to our parade. They're not in Westeros, mm-hmm. yeah. and their names are really hard to memorize. Yeah. And they're still there, but I feel like the way that – uh I forget who told her, but when Quentin was requesting her presence at the beginning – of the chapter before she went off. That was like a moment where to him it was really important. And he's like, I'm this person from Dorne and I'm seeking an audience from the queen. But to her, it's just another sort of mosquito bugging her, sort of like all of these other characters have been throughout the course of the chapter or throughout the course of the book so far. And like our attention, Drogon sort of does what we've known has been the thing that was going to happen all along like that. She doesn't really belong here. We don't really belong with knowing uh, about what the green grace prefers or which shave paid is which in this particular moment. And it's all going to eventually fall away. And then at the end of this chapter, it literally does fall away. Like Marine sinks into the distance. Mm-hmm. as like a dot below us. And there's almost relief amongst all the pain as well. That's a great way to put it because it's, it's, it's like, People are wondering where this arc is going to go. And even Danny herself is she understands how important it is to rule Marine properly. That's why she stayed. She saw the mistakes that happened at Astapor. You know, there were there were mistakes of, of her youth, uh, not understanding how certain things work in the world because, because she hasn't experienced them before and because she doesn't have people telling her how they work. Uh, and so she's determined to to do a better job this time, but isn't entirely sure how that's done and isn't entirely sure how you can, I mean, let's face it. It's a pretty humongous task to undo thousands of years of slavery. That's not just the slavery, right? It's not just any, any culture that's lived any way for thousands of years. If they have something that they're really attached to that you're trying to take away, even if it's one of the the most evil things imaginable, like, it's so hard to change people that way. And she's 14 at this point. I mean, what an incredibly difficult task. And and touching on something else you said, or, or both of you really talked about, is the way this chapter is so well self-contained. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you can't tell what's going on without the rest of the story because it's like, well, who are these people? And this dragon comes out of nowhere. But as far as a... Uh, a slice of the story, it's really well contained because it starts with her looking up at the sky in this empty blue sky. Mm-hmm. And that's where she ends up at the end of the oh, chapter. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It was mercilessly yeah. blue and she was mercilessly within it. There's yeah. no way to escape. Yeah. And she's thinking about how oppressive the ground is. The bri- the bricks are so hot and she hates it. And it's smell. And once she gets to the pit, it's horrible. It smells bad. It's brutal. There's people dying. She's like, this was a mistake. And then she goes above it all. And, um, it reminds me of when she first got to Marine and she goes to the top of the pyramid and she starts thinking about how untrustworthy people are and how she starts thinking more about prophecies. And it's kind of like, is she leaning more into prophecy and less into humans because humans are fallible and untrustworthy? And it's the same feeling of being above everything because she's atop the Great Pyramid. She's really high up in the air and she's thinking about, is this what being a god feels like? Man, it's lonely being a god. <laughs> so it's like these these themes of she's not full of like power and like I'm a god. She's just like this kind of sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. 
but she still thinks it, uh, th- sees it as a responsibility. She's like, well, I can't just walk away from all this. I gotta, this is a horror, like, I gotta f- try to fix it. Why this. do you this think that is? is a a queen state. belongs to her people, not to herself, she says at the beginning of the chapter. But why though? Because just like, also in this chapter, I can relate to Danny so hard. She is enjoying the bath and the fruit <laughs> and the relaxation and me- mem- <laughs> potential memories of the past so wholeheartedly. Right. I can get behind that. Why <laughs> replace that? With this. I get it too. It's her duty. I mean, it's what she wanted. Yeah. She has a calling. It's like the same, same thing to me. Like when someone's, someone is like this call to go, I don't know, be a nurse. It's not something I would, you know, it's something that I'm glad there are lots of people in this world that have that instinct to go and, and that calling. We'd be screwed without them, but I, I can't explain it any more than I can explain this. I think it's just, yeah, it's a it's a calling of some kind, and and we're all lucky that people have, have that calling. True, mm-hmm. true. We're unlucky for some people's callings, but some we're really lucky yeah, for. Right, exactly. Like in this case, it's just supernatural and and crazy and and miraculous and and wrapped up in, in in fictional overtones. But when you get down to it, it's just yeah, it's kind of a similar thing. Like what made Barristan the Bold want to be? a Kingsguard or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he just, the culture around him, you know, everybody else wanting to be that way. Well, even Daenerys throughout this whole chapter, as she's, as we're talking about who kind of she is at a very high level, so often through this chapter, she thinks to herself and wonders if she's on the right trajectory, if she's even going to make it to Westeros, if she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's trying to find peace and victory in little changes that she's been able to make like kind of hyping herself up of i'm on the right path i'm doing the right thing i think i'm not really sure am i going to make it to my ultimate end goal and so i think these are a lot of the same questions that she's asking herself throughout this entire process and the whole time that she's been in marine it's kind of been i'm just a kid and i have the weight of the world on my shoulders and i don't necessarily trust anybody or know who's on my side or who I should be listening to, blah, blah, blah. And I think that, and we've been talking about this, this chapter is like a parade through her time at Marine. And it's kind of like a reflection back to a lot of the things that she's been through since she's been here and with all the different people that we're seeing and kind of getting glimpses of. And as she's parading through the streets and on her way to the fighting pits which has just like been a thing this whole time as she's having a lot of the same thoughts that she's had throughout the book so far i think as easy you were kind of saying like this chapter can kind of be contained in itself but also not at all because then i guess you wouldn't understand the backstory but it's like (laughs) a a quick passage through what once was before she pieces the heck out and you know, whether she comes back or kind of what her trajectory is or what she's going to do next, blah, blah, blah. We don't truly have the answer to those types of questions, but it just feels like a almost like a walk down memory lane, which I think is makes this chapter really exciting. It's like all the different stuff that it took for her to, OK, I'm going to face it, but it's a dragon in this case, but the dragon is also her. So it's like she's facing herself, what she thought was that she wanted to rule and that she wanted things to go her way. And what she got was the reality of the situation, which is the stuff... See, Daenerys, like, she grew up different than all of these people here in Slaver's Bay. She has... Her idealism doesn't apply to the structure that they already have, but she was like, guess what? 
I'm going to go ahead and change that. And with that level of ambition and with the right people around her, like uh, his dar was saying, like little steps have actually started to happen. That guy who fell underneath the palanquin, that guy would have, instead of being helped and given water and like encouraged to do better, they would have just cut to the chase and just started beating him until he stood up. And I mean, it would have worked just as well. So we got a little piece of it, but we didn't quite get it all. And it's just not good enough. She was uh, standing on top of that pyramid, like you said, and she's looking down at everything. And it's not that she feels like she's actually a god. She feels that separation from like everybody else because she's in the position to give them what they want. And that's really strange. But what she's not getting this whole time is what she wants. Right. And it's like all those things like you were talking about, the sort of memory lane of Marine. She sort of walked through all of it or rode through all of it. And was reminded of who was there and why. And even someone like his daughter who wanted her presence now has his full position with her. And so he's like going through the same thing, but we're not in his point of view. So maybe like this, seeing her have more power than him was his version of facing the truth. And her having to face the the violent truth of what she really desires and what it's really going to take for her to be satisfied happened in the middle of the pit. And George wrote it you know, beautifully throughout or with the story of it being her dragon that she lost and all the potential violence attached to it. But really, I think what it is, is like I sort of like driving in a simple point, which is that she's not happy with this. What she wanted is not what she got. And she needs to try something else. Yeah. Her, the, what's what's what counts as progress here is is such a grind and still really brutal. And because starting from such a starting from so far behind in other words this city is just so immoral this area is just so badly depraved and corrupt and has been for so long i mean the first appearance of astapor is basically the first time we see it it's basically a description of hell i mean it's it's not it's not really unsubtle once you find it i mean literally they shape their hair like horns (laughs) it's red brick and i mean it's hell i mean it's in a it's in a it's one of the levels slaver's base sucks it's a bad place yeah so how do you rehabilitate hell i mean is that even possible not quickly seeing here right like she's like is this this is really progress this the fighting pits are progress i mean like like (laughs) <laughs> how is that it's hard to swallow that that's progress yeah yet you can see that it kind of is which is part of why danny's like no this process is too long mm-hmm. and too too much death and more suffering has to happen it might just be better to wipe it out and start over because it's just that gone it's just that unrehabilitatable. you know like uh some people just you can't rehabilitate Charles Manson. You can't rehabilitate <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. Some people are just because born they are dead psychopaths. <laughs> this yeah, this city is like the born bad like <laughs> type of. There's just no fixing it. And uh, whether that's true or not, I think that's where Danny's head starts to go. And it's it's like you said, uh, Hannah. It's really well done that this is the the climax of showing that it just may you just can't necessarily ever fix this place um and i mean this is what the people want you got thirty thousand people just like this is what they, they want it. they want to see this slaughter and it's like how am i ever going to teach these people to be decent i mean yeah <laughs> like, how she is can't that even possible? stomach it yeah yeah so it's just it's so perfect that she's 
picked up out of it and taken away from it and taken off back to the supernatural elements because it seems like Drogon is taking her to the Dothraki Sea to meet her destiny to become the stallion who mounts the world. And that's a deeply supernatural, predestined type, I am the the great bringer of change, not the person that sits down and administers the change. I start, I'm the wave, I'm the tidal wave of change, not the person who comes in and rebuilds afterwards um yeah dragons don't dragons don't plant trees right like let me be the lore kind of thing and i don't know that she wants to be that but she might you know what i mean like there's there's all she has all these instincts to do right and to prevent suffering like we see this constantly as much as there is evidence of destruction there's just as much evidence that she doesn't want that but if that's a conclusion she reaches like this is the only way i can do it then it's dark it's tragic but it's also a point where you kind of say well maybe she's not wrong i mean this is how do you fix Slaver's Bay? You just come right. back to that like you can. It's you not, don't. Is it possible? It's tough yeah. to be in her position because she's going against the momentum of reality, not just the reality of Slaver's Bay, but also the physics uh, and the full history of the whole world. And there's just not enough time to force that kind of change in. And it's like her personality just doesn't sit well with it. She tried. She really tried. She sat here, yeah. she acted like a good little girl, and it just it did, did not work out. What worked out more was pulling a spear out of a dragon's mm-hmm. boiling back and jumping on, because that's who she is. <laughs> well, that's her destiny. Yeah. I mean, I think that so much of the conversation about her time in Marine is she's just kind of dabbling in something that's not really her business, so to speak. And I think that, I mean, I know that it's a much more complicated conversation, and it's I think has like a lot of real world implications and not that small progress shouldn't be celebrated or things like that. But I just like so much of the issue is that she's not even really where she's supposed to be. And so her kind of spinning her wheels in this place where she doesn't belong. And it feels, I think that the atmosphere in this chapter just drives that point home even more that this just isn't where she belongs and it just has strange things that are uncomfortable to her. And she just, once she's on the back of Drogon, she's finally, she's her heart felt as if it were about to burst. I mean, she's finally who she's supposed to be and she's just going to get the heck out of here. Is there any point where it's not like this if you're in a Danny's position. Let's say that she's not trying to change them or change the way that the policies of their entire of all these cities and this whole region works. Let's just say she's trying to, for example, go back to Westeros. If it resembles anything like it did in the show, guys, like it's let's say she goes to Winterfell after dealing with other stuff in the north. Is, is it is it not going to just be a different version of the same thing? For sure. Where she's surrounded uh, yeah. and overwhelmed. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. But so she's going to be with people that we like. <laughs> so yeah. it's going to change. It's going to be even more it. difficult, it's gonna be more though. Fun it's because... not going to be Resnick or the Galaza Glore and the fucking Green Graces. It's going to be Sansa and it's going to be, you know, the people people that we like. And so it's like, ah, oh, finally, we know this kind of drama because this is familiar to us. But yeah, I it's think wrapped absolutely... up in culture we're more familiar with. But right. it's, this, it's also been the same for thousands of years. Like, they've also been stuck in the same right. patterns, mm-hmm. same legal system, same political system for so long. It's it's not as evil as Slaver's Bay. It's not hell like Slaver's Bay. But it's There's evil things about it good. that she doesn't like, though, too, though, <laughs> mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's like, it's, is it ever going to really be good enough for her? Like, the way she thinks about it in this chapter, we we can see with her, uh, the italic 
I forget what, the, what those are called. I, I want to call them parentheticals, but her in her inner monologue, mm-hmm. she's sort of admitting to not having a full perspective of like, these are autonomous other people and I should think about their wishes as well. What she's doing is understanding her point of view as sort of the moral compass to follow. And like, oh, they'll they'll follow me eventually, or oh, they're getting it slightly, or oh, do I have to teach everyone? People have been like gassing her up to feel that way her whole life. Well, but like, also, she's... I think she has so much more common sense. Clearly, I think she trusts people like Bar- Barristan, but mm-hmm. she's looking around. She's like, this is nuts. What we're doing here, guys? Like, how can this really be the thing? But she's not going to be able to piece out of Westeros like she's piecing yeah. out here. You know, yeah, exactly. She and, and and there's let's if we can talk a little bit about what trust means, like she trusts Barristan in that she knows he's not going to betray her, mm-hmm. but he's also not the kind of guy that can really do much more than that. You know, he can't really help her with this goal. He's not the type of man that has the skills necessary to redo this all this reforming and right. uh, to understand these deep political issues and, and where the flaws you know he's not that kind of guy jorah wasn't either um she, needs she doesn't have anybody she like needs that. Tyrion <laughs> right now she needs that's she needs Tyrion, and he's so he's got those skills but he's also just so bitter about westeros like he hates westeros probably like she hates slaver's bay <laughs> <You know? true. laughs> jeez yeah exactly he's like i'm not going back to that place this place is awesome <laughs> yeah. oh. but not, not it's not I, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't not really in this know. chapter even though he was only oh, he was so almost poetically eaten by a lion which i thought was beautiful i would love to get a <laughs> of him from yeah. this chapter dude be unbelievable barrison was humanized so much in this chapter to me but he also i also like uh almost started tearing up welling out of my face whenever he he was trying to distract drogon from danny oh yeah but before yeah. that his talking about when she uh was talking about not giving pentos to the tattered prince because of what illyrio illyrio has seemingly had her back almost consistently whatever the means and reasons uh, almost more than anyone so she's like i'm not going to do that and barristan's like mm, that is wise and i'm thinking what about your advice having spent all that time in king's landing to this girl that you guys are in way over your head you probably shouldn't get in that palanquin and of all the things that you've said that you wanted to happen and that aren't happening, shouldn't that be a big indicator enough that you are just a bunny or what is what does she call it? Like a rabbit, floppy, floppy, floppy yeah, yeah. person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why isn't he telling her that? Why are they playing along? Why is Eerie and Jiqui get into the games and start feeling like they're a part of the whole thing? What's going on here? Yeah, it's it's kind of like you say the. Um it's it's an example of what we were talking about before, where it's not Danny sees the the dark truth about where these people's attitudes lie and how what matters to them and things they still value like slaughter and even like her dothraki handmaids are into it and that's that's really depressing to her because she hates it i mean she it's very clear she hates it for a lot of reasons and not only does she hate it but she can see how and not only do they love it which disgusts her but she can see how they just try to get things past her, right? Like they were going to just break some of the rules she set out and she had to argue with his dar to be like, no, I made it clear. No one is put in that pit unless they signed up for it, period. It doesn't matter. There's no exceptions. And he's like, oh, but come on. They're going to love to see mm-hmm. the dwarves mm-hmm. get eaten. It's like, what is this ridiculous argument you were making? They want, it's like, oh, come on. Let's sacrifice the dwarves. And like come the heat on, of the moment when yeah, it's like, oh, that's how like, it goes. The it's just, amped. it's yeah. slippery. It's not, it's, there's no priority toward who the actual ruler is so guess what you're not the actual ruler at this point and i I would say for good reason she did lose control of her artillery 
So yeah, that's, yeah. that's how it goes. Like, but where's Barristan saying we, that to her though? Is that that's not really his job though? What were you saying, Aziz? Lost my headphones for a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, this is too exciting. <laughs> I accidentally pulled the cord out and I was like, ah, I can't hear anymore. <laughs> Stressful. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's just, it's just overwhelming. Like she says in the chapter, she's got, it's the heat, the death, the blood, the smell. Uh, but those are just extensions of what, of like a deep, Per, uh, personal malaise she's feeling at how hopeless this all is i mean all these little things we saw as progress you i mean it's fair to say the guy who collapsed in the street that who would have been beaten is now getting water that is progress mm-hmm. but that's the kind of progress that can just be erased in a day they can mm-hmm. just easily just slip right back to the old way right. in a second without like it's not permanent progress it's not like this isn't a change this is this might just be temporary. You know, it's not necessarily a permanent change and you could easily see it yeah. all backsliding to the way it was. So, and this is the kind of thing Danny's very aware of. She's like, is this really progress? Are we really making it? Are we really getting anywhere? Uh, like three weeks from now, are people still going to be giving that guy water? Right. I mean, well, also at I this point, know. who do we need to turn to have Danny be the only person for her own? Like, let's say Barrison will not betray her. Okay. Everyone else will. At this point, right? Yeah. In her score. Or at least disappoint yeah. her. Or at least disappoint her, right? Right. Well, you look at the whole locust thing with Strong Bellwas puking this whole time. I think there's like some theories about whether or not somebody was trying to poison Danny and things. It's got to be that, right? I mean, potentially. Or I he just so. ate a lot. Mm. Or he ate a lot. <laughs> like, like, yeah, there's there. potential. He was eating fistfuls. <laughs> like, Aziz, have you ever thought about the. What it might be saying that he was legitimately just struggling with having ate too much and that sort of comedically <laughs> happening while she's going through this, like maybe some kind of just sort of weakness overall to even the once strongest fabled fighter in the area. Just everyone's just kind of goofy and people are just kind of goofy. Is that what it is? Well, I think that's part of it. But I mean, yeah, there's definitely a also a legitimate attempt to kill her. Right. <laughs> so, so you think it might have been poison? With the locusts. Yeah, like yeah, I'm pretty true. sure that I think that was proven. Um, they had the, or at least it was told to her that it was proven. You never know. Um, with, uh, the shave pate. Um, he's the one that I think confirms that it was poison, but we can't when does be he do sure that? that? Is that in the I think sample chapter? No, it's a little, it's, it's, um, with Bar- in Barristan's chapters. Oh, uh, yes. Um, the, right. With the, uh, the con, I'm trying to remember because the, um, I, I, it slips my mind, but may, I could be wrong. But I'm pretty sure they they verified it. But I, I, yeah, like I said, I could be wrong. Anyway, well, it's if like someone that. knows that, please write that to us. I'm confused. <laughs> His star starts yelling for Drogon, like to kill kill the dragon. Oh, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that's okay. So yeah. you're saying his star his behavior changes so quickly once she's gone. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. that he was. By him saying kill the dragon, that that's kind of revealing that he was against her the whole time. Is that what you think? I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily against her the whole time, but there's this moment right before when, so the dragon, so Drogon comes and we get that beautiful line about the shadow passing over and noticing (laughs) what's actually going on. And Drogon begins to eat Barasina's corpse and the boar. And it says, a queer look passed across Hizar Zorlorak's long, pale face. Part fear, part lust, part rapture. He licked his lips. Which was one of my favorite lines from this chapter because I feel like there's so much to unpack there about 
what his motive may or may not be, whether whether he did poison, try to poison Daenerys, or he is trying to kill Drogon because he wants somehow to get a leg up over her, even though he seemingly is getting everything he wanted. Right. Or if he's just like this guy who's so hyped up on the heat of the moment and the spectacle of it all, thinking that this is going to be like the dragon's back and they're going to be able to tame it. And it's just going to be like this flex of power. You know, I don't know necessarily the answer, but I mean, I definitely think, I mean, his star has never been somebody that we're going to trust necessarily. So there's always going to be like multiple motives to what he's doing. But I just thought that that line was really powerful. What do you think is easy? Trust him. Uh, I trust to a point. I mean, I think he's really, really uh, sincere about wanting to wipe out the slaver families uh, because, you know, he wasn't in one of them. And he knows a lot of the things we were just saying better than anyone else that things could easily go back to the way they were. There's a huge number of people both inside and outside the city that wanted to just go back to the way it was. There's business interests you know, outside Slaver's Bay, like in Volantis and places like that. Karth. Karth, perfect example, yeah. And um, so there's enormous global forces who have a lot of power that want this to go back. So it is – I definitely buy into the idea that Hisdar's marriage to her was a bit of a sham in an, it's because it'd be easily if she's killed or dies, then he's just king of Marine. Mm-hmm. And there'd be it's not hard to see why a lot of people would prefer her to be gone. So from their perspective as plotters, they can think, well, all we got to do is deal with her loyalists and we're fine. And of course, they want to act quickly because just like everyone else, they don't want those dragons to get any bigger. They need to do it as soon as possible and perhaps before she starts to become more politically entrenched, before she uh, under undermines more of their efforts, before she discovers who's really in power behind the scenes, things like that. Uh, also, I, I did – while you guys were chatting, I looked up the uh, stuff about the confectioner. So this is why it's slightly confusing. Danny realizes it herself and it's like, well, how could she have figured it out? No one told her. She just figures it out while she's on the Dithraki Sea. She's like, I think Strong Bellus was poisoned, and that was mm-hmm. probably meant for me. And meanwhile, Skahaz does tell Barristan that he's got the poisoner, and that the the deal was they st- took his they kid the brazen uh, the um harpy's sons stole or kidnapped his daughter and said, "We're if you don't poison the the locusts, we're going to kill your daughter." And so. They killed the daughter anyway because God. Danny was because it didn't work. Because Danny, I can't believe I forgot all that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tricky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Hmm. So, so the uh, confectioner—that's what they call the guy who candies the locusts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my official—I'm the royal confectioner in the Great Pyramid of Marine. I want to talk to that guy. Me too. I mean, you're a good guest disease, but I really feel like that guy would really hit the spot right now. <laughs> Honestly, I would rather talk to him too because he has some insight that no guest on any podcast has ever had. Right? Mm-hmm. Which it, the insight of how exactly do you candy a locust, sir? <laughs> I would like to know. It sounds pretty straightforward. How to me. do you how do you candy a murder hornet as well i hear those are quite delicious where does marine get its sugar from where does that get imported from in the first place <laughs> jesus um so this yeah and then his star tells or scott has tells shell that he thinks it's his that his star did it and explains the basically what i just explained where the motive is the motive is clear enough it's the power the, the power grab is straightforward 
Um, Do you think he did it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that they all want Danny gone, and his dar is a is a perfect character along the lines of lame Lothar and uh, maybe maybe even Garland Tyrell, where they're extremely good at seeming friendly, and maybe they genuinely are friendly, but that the friendliness and ability to be really, like really good in a diplomatic situation doesn't tell you that much about what might be behind oh, that mask. I don't think, I don't think his dar is like a super violent guy. Like he c- clearly quails in front of right. violence and blood and, and he, he's, he's, he's a coward, but that doesn't mean he, he's not a slave to his desires. And if he's, he smells the crown, you know, being yes, all his well and there are other, other political forces that, that want him to have it. And so he's kind of like a Renly there where they're like, dude, you're the best mm-hmm. man for the job. You'd be a great leader. Let's just get this other person out of the mm-hmm. way. And aren't you great? And they're just pumping him up and pumping him up. And he's, he believes it. And he doesn't want to do the dirty work, but he's he's totally fine to have it done. You know, of course. And yeah. to hype up the crowd. Step in, step in. Before. Yeah. <laughs> before so. and after and during mm-hmm. <laughs> any of this stuff. He's got a lot of classic figurehead type characteristics to him you know he's all charm but no substance you know he's he's good at talking down to people but he can't really handle handle things when they get you know real dangerous so yeah i can't help but wonder how (laughs) this whole scene may have played out if it wasn't just barristan that was there with with daenerys like if dario had been there you know it couldn't happen guys he how much he would have let his dar get away with i feel like he would have been out in five seconds flat as this whole thing started to unfold that's so true daria is really interesting in that he's legitimately in love with daenerys he's he's a sellsword he's a scumbag but he is not behaving like a sellsword once like he is super angry and acting out about her marriage and gives up his weapons and and volunteers to be a hostage that is not self-sort no. behavior that is smitten and ultra confident <laughs> take, take yeah. my weapons i will be fine all of you cowards are heartless and so he useless. sees a lot that his dar doesn't i think his dar is even though he's like i want to emphasize the figurehead aspect here i think he is very unaware of a lot of what's happening around him and what's going as far as plotting and planning he's just the beneficiary of it and is Obviously, he's not going to complain about things that go well for him. He's like, oh, Danny's gone. Well, I will outwardly express, you know, sorrow. But meanwhile, I'm now the king. And I'm not going to look that gift horse in the mouth. It just seems like he's, like, totally happy with that. He doesn't want to question where it's coming from. Just as long as the money and power keeps flowing, I don't need to know where it's flowing from. Great masters, my queen has come this day to show her love for you, her people, <laughs> by her grace and with her leave. I give you now your martial art, or sorry, mortal art. <laughs> Marine, let Queen mortal Daenerys art. hear your love. <laughs> so the, good. What's uh, <laughs> Chaucer from A Knight's Tale? Yeah. <laughs> That's really good and really gross, too, because like how, like they're trying to make. They're trying to turn gladiator fights into mm-hmm. an art form. Like they're trying to normalize the, well, they have, let's be honest, they have normalized yeah, of course. That. They normalized yeah. that a long time ago. They're just trying to get back to what they see as normal. Right. This is normal to them. And Danny's like, Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> this is so like, how can you call this art? Like it's so brutal and gross. And that's one thing that I love about George's world because 
he has written so many different cultures and they're so close to each other in a way that really wouldn't be able to evolve in the world without some serious mountain ranges or like some serious water cutoffs, like a, an island society or like huge continents, continents divided by like a large ocean, not just a narrow sea. But yet we get so much of this con or not a uh, context, but a uh, color and flavor from these different places. Some of it's really cool. Some of it's extra cool. When you hear about like the beautiful, the aspects of Dorne, you're like, all right, this place might be too cool. And if you're interested in the mysterious swashbuckling nature of Bravos, that as well, like every region has pros and cons that's that like we can all like we design our video game characters differently or when we're playing Skyrim, like we choose different races, like there's things to love and hate about all of it. And in this particular case, it's so vastly ancient. It feels ancient, but it's actually not ancient. Mm. Like when she's talking or uh, thinking about the fighting pits in this chapter, she describes all of the fighting pits, which that means there's so many. As she can see them from the top of the Great Pyramid, she's looking around. She describes them as little pock marks and scars on the face of uh, the city. And then that this great fighting pit, Daznak's pit, is the is the biggest one. So it's like... In this case, mm -hmm. like we're like I said, it feels ancient. There's pyramids, there's elephants around. To us, that's there's people in masks, like the gold glittery brazen beasts. Yeah, yeah. The brazen beasts. It's weird. Yeah, they don't have like personalities of their own. They're like caricatures, and they're not they're not real people. Kind of like hieroglyphics. Like, you know what I mean? You see people in these god masks, yeah. and you're like, who were they? Well, they were really just arbiters for this idea in their culture. And I feel like that's an ancient point of view when people were less individualistic mm. and we had pharaohs and great people in the top of the pyramid. Uh, do you follow me? Do this, build this thing. Ah, fighting pit. Ah, <laughs> but instead, you know, she's from a different time. She's, she's lived in, in uh, mansions and she's been given hot baths with fish swimming around. Mm -hmm. in it. She's had a different perspective and she's had like a different pace of life and she can appreciate the calm, relaxing nature of a good jacuzzi soak. I can as well. <laughs> I can as well. And I think that, I think that what she's, it's just this, it's, it's like if we time traveled and we were trying to tell people like, Hey, this really isn't the way to do it. Right. They would sort of see us as just annoying because there's just one of us. But if we had three dragons, maybe they would have to listen. I mean, that is why she gets yeah. everything done, right? So the moral of the story is if you bring back like a iPhone with you to the past, you may be able to get people to listen to you, but you're going to have to put on airplane mode as much as possible because it's going to lose charge. Mm -hmm. You can't lose charge. I, I like that. I like that take a lot because it's also at the end of the chapter, Danny is like, I'm a dragon. She's like, he is fire made flesh and so am I. So she's like, well, if we're all representing what right. we've always been. Our ancient roots, well, my ancient roots, this is my ancient root, you right. MFers. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you fucks uh, wanted to so show, awesome right? You wanted to show in this pit? Ah. Yeah. And look at the amazing symbolism for how this all started. I mean, Barsena black hair is absolutely a symbolic parallel to Robert Baratheon, right down to the bar and being killed by a boar. Interesting. Fighting it with a dagger. And uh, then a dragon comes and, and smat takes it all away. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> so that flew right over my I did, head. You know those those parallel lives tweets that I do yes. sometimes. I did I did this one already. Robert Baratheon and Barcelona Black here. That was there's there's good parallels. There. God, how gross <laughs> when he was rooting around her entrails. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Jesus Christ! That like, could tell. Which is the exactly two. where she got Robert. Where the boar mm -hmm. got right. Robert. Right. It's a terrible place to get hit. Daenerys shouts out Robert Baratheon in this chapter. She's like, you know, I almost feel bad for the usurper. If she only knew how well she'd get along with him truly deep down. <laughs> yeah, what is it with all these familial 
like problems that we give ourselves that we allow to stand between us. You know, she thinks that she could relate yeah. closer to these other people, but in reality, she's not having a good time with any of them. But I think she would have a really good time hanging out with someone like Robert is all I'm saying. I don't know. She doesn't know him, though. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about why does she think it's necessarily going to go different when she shows up in Westeros. And she's had a much different life experience than many people in Westeros have and for the same reasons that she's had a different life experience than the people here in Marine. I mean, she's a foreigner there as well. And, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how she handles that when she can't just dip out on a dragon and right, i mean i guess she could she but, could yeah you know it's I mean, interesting to it's me it's like you said earlier you were like there's nowhere else to go almost that's sort of the way it seems she knows that there's other destinations so she doesn't really have to do this perfectly even though she's not not trying to do it well there's always sort of an escape hatch do you think that she's going to be more or less jaded after not only the dreamlike Dothraki sea moments, but I just mean in general after all of this, after Winds of Winter, going back to Marine, presumably, just when she goes to Westeros or wherever after that, Pentos, wherever, do you think she's going to be more angry or better at this and thus more like open to people potentially in Westeros like Sansa and the people that we like or even potentially Tyrion? What do you guys think? I think she'll be more about destiny. I think it's the, the less she moves away, it's the stuff we were talking about earlier, the more she moves away from listening to people and, and doing so because of how fallible they are and how, how often they betray her, that she will just see herself as a child of destiny, something she's been off and on with for a long time, and be like, no one's opinions matter. Or this is what has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, I can see her getting farther and farther into that. And it's, it's coming from a place of wanting to save the world and um, whether or not that's what she's ultimately going to do is, I don't know. I mean, I think if she helps stop the others, then the argument's pretty clear that she has done or helped do that. Right. Um, whatever comes after is, is harder to say. And, um, it's hard. It's, it's unclear, but you can see the groundwork for that. If she thinks it has to be destroyed uh, to start over, and that's the only way it's ever going to work, then you can see how we get to a place of burning King's Landing, maybe, or you know, th- things like that. It's not necessarily um, that's not necessarily the whole picture because there's got to be more. There's got to be more pathos. There's got to be more, mm, perhaps, more uh, prophecy involved that drives her. For sure. Um, she she's constantly thinking about that still. She's still in this chapter she thinks about Quaith's prophecy and who the betrayals right. are. So that's still driving her. Um and it's gonna continue to, I think. So um yeah, I think she's just gonna lean more and more into the magical, the supernatural, the destiny side, which to be fair, or not to be fair, which ex that's not the right phrase, but that explains a lot of why the TV show's ending was unsatisfying for some people because this, the TV should cut out the supernatural sure. elements mm-hmm. so much yeah. mm-hmm. that, that when it, if that's supposed to be a, a factor, a main factor driving Daenerys's behavior or her, or her instincts or her, uh, ambitions or whatever, you want, whatever word you want to use to describe her actions and decisions. Yeah. Then they, they shot themselves in the foot by taking out that element and not having it in play when it needed to be. Because it needed to be there at the end. Say, like, this is part of why Daenerys is doing these things. But because they erased so much supernatural stuff, it wasn't there for them so to, make to rely on. And So it's just it's just like she's going mad. Right. It's like, well, that's kind of one sense. note. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting yeah. because 
this is such a huge turning point for Daenerys as she's looking into Drogon's eyes and this whole thing as we mentioned the line of he is made of or he is fire made of flesh she thought and so am I I think that for so long in Marine she hasn't had the opportunity to be in touch with she's been uh, kept away from her dragons for so much of the time that she's been here whether it's because Drogon was like off living his own life or because they were chained away somewhere and she wasn't really able to kind of touched base basically with her heritage and who she is and kind of where she brings her power from and she spends a lot of time thinking about how she can't really control them um without necessarily having the opportunity to try and i think that it would be interesting to see as she heads to westeros and kind of some of the things that she experiences in this next chapter and and, and where her trajectory is that as she stays close to who she is, quote unquote, as a Targaryen, as somebody who has three dragons right now, currently. Um, that's where her power and her, uh, like the lore and her ability to tell people what to do and her relying on and all of, to listen. Yeah, exactly. Her, the folks are gonna, I think, be a little bit more apt or interested in paying attention when she's playing to her strengths and not pretending to be somebody that she's not or trying to just like stiff arm with nothing to really back it up very much as she's been kind of doing in marine and so i think that that i think that that's a lesson that she's learning here as she's kind of reached wit's end and then she's able to escape um this is not fair and so i hope that she'll be able to play to that strength as she gets to westeros do you think that she's gonna still you think that she's going to let people tell her what to do at all, like she has here? I mean, I think that she's going to – she has to have people by her side. I mean, mm-hmm. she can't just do everything by herself. And if we can take anything from the TV show – Please don't. Lightly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that there's like some structure – I mean, we talk about Tyrion and Masunde, and there's, like, there's people around her who I think are going to – influence her in one way or the other and if we think about somebody like john i mean i I do think that she's going to have to find folks to uh she can't do it alone basically i don't necessarily think she's like gonna hate sansa stark kind of situation but um i don't think she's gonna do it alone I think she'll, she'll listen to people as far as like strategy and, and how to win the win the wars and fight the others and things like that. But as far as like policy afterwards, I think that's where the clashing and the she may not listen to other people because that's where I think she's perhaps of her own mind and distrusting of the current political system in Westeros and the people that are in power. She's going to have reason to distrust all of them uh, one way or another, whether it's Tyrion, Varys um other lords and ladies the lannisters who knows there there's please just... name them all as there... these <laughs> <laughs> i know you know a percentage of them go on please <laughs> so i just think there's just too many people that like i agree that we shouldn't go too deep into the show but the idea that we something we a recurring thing we saw in the show is that she just didn't she was disappointed in her advisors mm-hmm. repeatedly mm-hmm. and i think that's something that i i imagine that george told the showrunners that it was part of it because you know if we look at the high points and the things they were trying to do that really fits quite well with what we're saying here and it fits with slaver's bay like she doesn't she can't trust sky's mokandak the shape like this guy is 
brutal and has his own agenda, even though he's more trustworthy than the slavers, he's still not necessarily trustworthy. And it's the same thing here. Like Tyrion, she may learn a, a hard lesson from Tyrion that his a lot of his ambition is bitter. Yeah. He wants revenge on some people, and that's Oof. not what that's not that doesn't fit terribly well with Danny. And and she may mistake his bitterness. Uh, an isolation with with something she has in common with him, like, well, I'm bitter and isolated too, but it's for entirely different reasons. Are <laughs> um, some of them are familiar, I suppose, but still, you can really see how that would be a a, a bad mixture. Um, but it also a good be one, super interesting. Yeah, I think there's good parts compelling. about it too. <laughs> I definitely think there's more treason down in her path. That. Uh... Quaith and just overall yeah. prophecy stuff that uh, Aziz was talking about. I think that I think that Daenerys is one of her own treasons, and I think that I think that Ooh. she has betrayed herself in this. And I think that that's the problem. And if George told David and Dan that she's going to continue to be disappointed in her advisors, I think that the answer to that that George knows the answer to that is a flaw of Daenerys's is that she isn't able to turn that mirror back on herself. She's the one who put the dragons in the pyramid. She's the one who stopped herself from being exposed to who she is. And I go back and I think, why did this happen? And it really hurts my feelings to know that it was f because she was trying to be helpful when Drogon was hurting people and hurting small defenseless people that she she knew that there was nothing that she could argue against that. And it seemed like it was the smartest thing to do. And this is a lose-lose right here. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to be unhappy if she allows them to fly Yes, she retains some of her power and maybe is reminded more of who she should be. And maybe a lot of things that have happened don't happen. But people are going to die. But then she's unhappy. And then she's stuck in the situation. And guess what? Those things that she thought were going to go away if she did this are still going to happen over time. It might bend some in your favor. There might be some regression from the things. We might see the people carrying the palaquins remain to be paid well and remain to be free. And it might eventually turn well. But not for her. And ultimately, that's what it's about in the fighting pits with Drogon. Like, it's about her and about what they will do. And if she lets this happen again, it's not just her being annoyed by everyone and them taking things from her idealistically or, sorry, theoretically. They're literally going to kill Drogon. They're going to kill him if she doesn't do something about it. So she literally has to walk out there and she has to do it herself. That's a oh yeah, really well said. The the doing it herself part, that's great. That's a really great take that she even with Barristan helping, he's not really helping. There's people like that want to help, but they're not really capable of it. And yeah, only she can handle this this dragon. No one else is gonna um, do it. That's yeah. That's great. Yeah, spicy that's a that's a spicy a hot take, spicy sweet take like the locusts mm, themselves. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> he's like i think i've had too much i need a glass of warm milk it's like dude you don't want milk right now that's the worst thing to eat to, to put down with sugary locusts disgusting so he might have just been thrown up because of that is all i'm saying it could have <laughs> just been the milk it could have been one of those weird things you know how like tywin happened to be on the crapper just like one of those sort Love of it. lightning parts of the i think in swordplay they call it the void it's like the unknown the usually ends up being creepily not what you want it to be. Maybe that was it, but it probably was. Wait, no, we already we already know it was poisoning. Never mind. <laughs> That's how my brain works. <laughs> I want to go back to you talking about Daenerys being the only one who's able to basically show this down because I love this line where she gets down there and she 
says, in the smoldering red pits of Drogon's eyes, Danny saw her own reflection. How small she looked, how weak and frail and scared. And then that's when she kind of realizes that she can't show fear and that she starts taking control of the situation. And I just think that she the fact that she has to work for it and that it doesn't just happen mm-hmm. immediately it's not one of those like mystical magical right initial right. connection that they have right mm-hmm. there it's like something that she has to command she's the, got a whip yeah she's got to command the room i think it makes that scene the tension and the intensity of that scene is just so high because it's this force that she should have this connection with but it's not something that is just going to come to her because she says you know, snaps her fingers and we see that later on as well and so i love that that tension is there she thought she was neglecting them for a good reason she was like i'm saving the lives of innocent children this is what i have to do i am misha but at the same time you're also danny what are you gonna do who do you want to be and it's not so simple because all these people are profiting from her not being her Mm -hmm. and she's like fuck that and this is a super strong parallel moment to Jon snow at the end of a storm of swords when he is wrestling with stannis's offer and he goes for a walk and that's when he's reunited with ghost and he realizes that ghost is a part of him and he looks into the red eyes and is like ah these are werewood eyes and these are not the same red eyes as melisandre's red eyes and that's he's like i belong to the old gods this is who i am i know what i need to do and that's very similar what happens here right danny's like i'm she's she thinks to herself uh she had never been so certain of anything. If I run from him, he will burn me and devour me. So she's like, well, I'm committed. I have to, if I look back, I'm lost. It's, it's you know, f- that old saying that she said many times, it's very familiar. So it's super st- familiar to what John went through and deciding, okay, this is what I am. This is what I'm going to do. John realizing that he's a wolf and he's going to be a wolf. And uh, <laughs> Danny realizing that she's a dragon and she's going to be a dragon. So pretty cool. That's interesting because they're so different. They're the, the, the decisions. I feel like in that case, maybe Daenerys would have chosen the path that put her in the best position power wise. And that would have been claiming the seat of Winterfell. I might be wrong, but maybe she would have felt like that was hers too. But I still feel like the, the looking into the eyes and the making decision for yourself happened purely with both of them. Just that they are different. Well, and he's in that moment for John. He's thinking, Stannis wants this. My brothers want this. Blah, blah, blah. What do I want? And that's when he has this – that's how it you know, develops from there. So, yeah, you're totally right. Just a bummer for John that his true what do I want puts him in such a cold, lonely place. Yeah. But it so does for Daenerys. I mean, it's like we don't know what this moment is necessarily going to do for her. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's we're, we're, we haven't gotten as far along her path. We've only what? There's only like three more chap, two more chapters after this of her. No, um, just the one. Just the one. Okay. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> I know, and we know what happens. So it's like this is kind of the jumping off point for her. I mean, we we can think, we can guess, and theorize, and we can take context from the show and you know the other chapters that we've been afforded. But I don't know. I think that there's a lot more to this than. I originally thought because it's just so easy to get to lose so much of the minutiae and the maelstrom of everything else. Yeah. Wanted to talk real quick about Kraz, that uh, first fighter. I just want to say real quick that (laughs) 
that uh, his dar is like uh, Vince McMahon, and this is his WWE <laughs> because all these he's like the guy. Like eventually, he's gonna go out there and wrestle The Rock or like Go Go or whatever at the end. Like he's gonna fight him and win, like by submission or something. But I was just saying that all these fights are staged, it seems. But this crass guy, it made me think when he ate that heart. Right, and then Danny was thinking about how oh, I ate that heart too. Like, I mean, no, I've right. done that. She's like, he only I, took one bite. Whoops. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, what's the difference between these people? Like, we think that this is a savage that works or works in a fighting pit, and that goes by the laws of this place that we've all sort of agreed is so far behind the times that it's embarrassing and almost not even worth trying to fix because they won't even allow themselves to fix each other. And yet Daenerys ate another heart too. And she didn't do it just for fun. She did it so she could uh, have conquest over other people. And through her point of view, we thought it was totally fine. I just think that Daenerys suffers from, and we all do, this sort of complex of not having true perspective of yourself, and which is one of the reasons why she denied herself in the first place and locking the dragons up and getting so involved with the political system that she has nothing to do with. I think that he believes in what he's doing, just like she did. They both ate a heart, and that her betraying herself was like would be like him betraying who she who he is not fighting in this fighting pit it's different what he's worked it's, his it, whole life for exactly and we were saying the same about john when he looked in the ghost ghost size they didn't make the same decision but they also made the same decision as far as when it comes to they did it for the right reasons for themselves which is different than what someone else would have done we well said and elephants fight wolves in this fighting pit. It's awesome. It's a pack of six red wolves. It's so good. I mean, there's so many lines throughout this whole chapter. The atmosphere is just so high. I love it so much. No lions? Not one, your magnificence? <laughs> Where's the fun in that? <laughs> this goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, boy, these people really just, their sense of of a human life and the value of human life is just there. They don't have it. <laughs> they just right. do not. They're hyped <laughs> up though. They are hyped up. It's been so long since they've had the opportunity. I mean, we get it sort of in quarantine vibes. It's like they are out in the streets hyped up. We get, um, his dar like opening up the gates at the beginning to like begin this Royal procession and everybody's cheering and, it's just like this the hype is so real everybody yeah. is ready to rumble and yeah are you ready for some football yeah, yeah exactly he's like on your way into a football stadium yeah you're like on your way into the stadium and like everyone's wearing their team colors and so exciting yeah I mean, I like, I, I don't know, I get it. Kroz is the best fighter who's ever lived, he says. Like, right. isn't that, that's totally the op- the opinion of a modern sports fan talking about their favorite player. Like, right. It's- <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's the first guy, too. It's like, how good can he be? And look at Barcina, I want to see him fight the boar. Everyone's screaming for her, cheering. I mean. He calls the spotted cat a poem on two feet. Dude, yeah, 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 the yeah. best, the best. <laughs> I, I tweeted that line of uh, Strong eating the uh, locusts. And then just out, out of context, if you cut like if you cut his dar's line a little bit short, it just sounds like him and his dar are having a personal conversation. And he's like, oh, yes, they are magnificent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my second choice was that when he said that the spotted cat oh, moves so well, like a poem on two feet. If only I could one day be described like that by anyone so lovingly. 
I want I want I want one person in this world to think of me like his dar thinks of the spotted cat. Take notes. <laughs> take notes. I am looking into hell, but I dare not look away. Oh, Barristan Selmy, standing out in that fighting pit, fighting for his queen. Just kill me. Kill me now. I love him Fight so much. Fight me instead. It is like you were saying at the beginning of the episode. It's just he has a lot of really sweet moments here. He's the only one here who's going to do anything for her right now. And he yeah, knows everyone it. Else he just knows kind it. Of, well, oh, well, she's gone. Let's. <laughs> right. Like even from the beginning when they're they stop. And he's like, what's going on? Why are we stopping? Let's yes. go. I'm nervous. I he's don't like looking this. around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get out of there, man. Yeah. You're in your gleaming white armor. Mm-hmm. I, I would be, listen, it's so obvious. You got to get out of that place when you're nervous about even pausing in town. You got to get out of there. If you can't even trust anyone, you got to go. I just don't understand why he doesn't sit her down and say, listen, we just got to pack up and go. We just got to get out of here. He does, There's, though. I mean, if you like, he, with like Quentin's offer, I mean, that's Barristan true. That's does true. kind of try to like that's true. subtly push her in the direction of things to get her out of yes. here. But it's still so politically driven. Like, right. At what point like, did these people let go of that and just start living their lives? It's his job. I don't know. I mean, I think he like does the best he can. It's like, I think that this might be a good option. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let's think about this. <laughs> it's really uh, amazing how many other, uh, Real world parallels there are just we talked about the sports stuff and and one of the battles was a bull versus a bear, which, you know, they and they just slaughtered each other, which is like a statement on the stock market, I think, because that's the you know bull market, bear market and how it's just oh. all, <laughs> a lot of nonsense. I mean, for example, I don't want to get too real, too real right now, but you can get as real market, as you want on this show, dude, real stock, as you want. OK, great. Good. Because sometimes I hold this stuff back on my own show. This, <laughs> the stock market right now is thriving. Like, it's killing. It's doing super well. So, anyone, people a long time, it's been a long time that people have been saying, oh, the stock market is not the economy. Well, what better effing proof could we have than the stock market doing really well right now? Like, Hmm. that is some bull right there. There's some bear and some bull. But, (laughs) But an even better parallel, I think, or maybe not better, but right along the lines of what's going on right now is how, is this line right here. Uh, the reason the cripples, dwarfs, and crones were even allowed in the pits at all was Danny, was, was his dark convincing Danny that they would starve if they didn't go fight in the fighting pits. How familiar is that right now? If you don't go back to work where it's extremely oh, dangerous, gosh. you will yeah. starve to death. How, there like, was a that part is, in here about ugh. being six feet apart. Too. Yeah, there was. It was like they that. fought six feet from Danny. I was yeah. like, well, good. Social oh, distancing. Oh, wow, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It was exactly six feet. It oh, was man. exactly six feet. George yeah, we picked this again. chapter for now because of just like the implications with COVID and Follow like so many parallels. Rabbit. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's is, wild when you see stuff like that. That is really wild. Yeah, it just like shows the different ways that people in power can spin their arguments that are just, well, compromising with evil is what you, that's where you end up. That's kind of where, yeah. she, you mm-hmm. know, she's like, well, compromising with people that are starting from such an evil start point. Your, your middle ground between decency and pure effing evil is still pretty bad. <laughs> like, yes. you, it, it's the problem with who, compromising with people that probably shouldn't compromise with even although maybe you have to you don't want to we shouldn't look on that as as a good solution aziz i argue that you don't have to 
<laughs> I think that I think that you don't have to. Yeah. I think that you can use fire and blood to do what you like. And hopefully it's a good thing. Like that's a personal decision and hopefully someone that has dragons is someone like Daenerys. But the what's the alternative? The alternative is just this amalgamation of everyone sucking really bad, I think. Well just said. ugliness. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. This was really good, though. Really good. I was like, damn, yeah. this chapter. I'm getting fired like up. It's a fun <laughs> yes. to read. It's a fun. I feel like so many of the chapters that we've been reading recently have been just these slots. Devoid of dragons, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like politics and drama and no dragons until now. So, What do you guys think of the brindle-skinned men from Southeros? Southeros is only mentioned like three or four times, I think. Right, Izzy? Something like that? Very little, yeah. Why didn't you ask me how many times I, I said you mentioned? guys. <laughs> you knew I wouldn't well, say I know Aziz is a frequenter of A Search of Ice and Fire. That's like his homepage. <laughs> so he's like writing Southeros in there. I don't and it probably only that... pops up like four times. Is the brindled butcher in this? I don't think he's actually in this chapter, is he? Because uh, I think there's a Sothori pit fighter who doesn't appear in this chapter, but does appear in, I think, in Bear. Maybe he's, he sh- I'm looking it up right now. Uh, the brindled butcher. Where does he show up? <laughs> does anyone know where brindled Oh, he, means? he's embarrassed in one of, of t Wow. So he's one of the guys that agrees to be in the battle to, like, oh, right be on. The, the pit fighter squad of 300 that's part of, you know, they're like a unit for the battle. Yeah, that's why I thought about it, because we talked about that last summer, which is coming up now. Yeah. But apparently that's the only time he's mentioned. Um, what does Brindle mentioned mean? That there are, he's a guy called the Brindled Butcher. He's like a one of the pit fighters. I have to look up Brindle right now. Up does anyone you. know what it means? Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, I know what it means. It's it's black and brown yeah, uh, okay. color mixing. So it's a like like a, like a, a Rottweiler is Brindled color. Is oh, brindled right on. Color. Cool. With so, streaks of other color. Yeah, I guess it doesn't have to be black brown, but that's like the most common brindle. That's a crazy looking person. Holy yes. shit. Would you like to see some pictures? I think they're I think like they're, I think they're I think they're pigmen. I think that's from the description because they have big snouts. I think they're kind of like pigmen. Pig I think they're like orcs. I think they're George's version what? of orc. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Okay, good. No, this is good. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, there's I mean, brindled just... wyverns, too, down in Sithorios. So. Now, that makes sense, okay? <laughs> a wyvern with a weird pattern. I mean, because we have Drogon. Look at that guy. And look at, you know, Viserion and Rhaegal. It's like, they're crazy looking in the first place. Right. But, <laughs> but, but a humanoid with a pig snout, I just feel like that would have been... You know, too ancient to exist, but I guess that says a lot about Southeros. Then it's still very much untamed and and magical and and yeah and and disturbing. I you know it's wow. really funny. One of my favorite memories. You guys have worked with McCall Schick plenty of times, so oh, you'll yeah. appreciate this. She does quotes for us. Uh, so we did our Nymeria Part Two episode, which is when Nymeria and her, and all the Roynish refugees are in Sithoria. So it's. This is the, the most I ever got into this topic. Well, we send her to read all these quotes, and some of these quotes are just descriptions of the awful diseases. And so <laughs> when she sent back the, the, the file, there's like in between the quotes is her just going, Oh, God. <laughs> 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 oh, it's running down his leg. Oh, it's oh, that's just why did you make me? You know? <laughs> that's funny. It's, it's comedy. It was we got extra benefit from from the recording <laughs> session. <laughs> you gotta put that in. That makes the cut every time. <laughs> yeah, I hope that comes up more because that is it does make sense that um like the Valer we know the Valerians. This is getting super tinfoily, but I think it's it's, it's rooted in in enough evidence. 
the, we know the Valyrians were also into these these pit fights. They got it. They learned it from the Giscari, but they loved it. Um, and they also were into blood magic and and creating new types of species. We know that they made sphinxes, for example. That's a real thing. Um, and so, just imagine put those two ideas together, and you have created engineered species fighting in the pits because why not because right? and, and that's and the george has definitely done this before if you guys have, have so anyone, any any pe- people out there who have read tough voyaging knows that this is an actual plot line of one of the tough voyaging stories because there's it's the far-flung future and there's genetic ma- manipulation the main character tough finds himself on a uh he's encountered a planet where they have 12 houses and the 12 houses uh have been running pit fights for eons and they just each house specializes in certain species. And so he's got uh, the ability to engineer species. So they're all trying to like get tough to help him to make new species for them to, to use in the pits. So I was like, wow, that totally fits the Song of Ice and Fire Valyria time. <laughs> so yeah. when was really that? Good. Do you know when that came out? Early 80s. Okay. And the tough voyaging stories are full of a lot of proto Song of Ice and Fire ideas. There's also like this collective uh bet like collective intelligence that lives far below the oceans in this one planet world that they have no perception of what's going on above the ocean and they can but they can make things they can create species with collective thought and um do it's they totally appear like in the water or they yes. appear terrestrially they appear they're like basically kelp <laughs> if you think but but they can make they can make krakens real krakens and yeah like it's, it's sort of a like a advanced bioengineering collective thing so are they, can they dream it into reality and it's very much like the werewood network are they making it in response to stimulus from in yes. the water or above the planet like why yes. do they do this because humans are colonizing this planet and it's screwing up their their ecology and so these and the humans aren't aware of this thing of these species below them and the species aren't aware of that of the humans they're just responding to stimulus like well let's make these giant megalodons to to work right. against this 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 outside thing you know this outside threat that they can't properly perceive because it's so much different than their own perception of life and vice versa both sides have like have a hard time conceiving or recognizing the other thing as a species even but once it's all spelled out to them the intelligence right. level on both sides makes it clear that they're okay <laughs> these are this is significant here. It's if you saw the movie Arrival, I haven't yet. I love that it, movie. It's, it's really a little good. similar in that it's a big, it's a it's an alien species that's that's trying. They're really trying really hard to communicate with each other, and it's really difficult. And but it but the difference is at first they don't even recognize each other as species. They are just these are just like ecological forces. <laughs> so it's really great. I can't remember what that one's called, but Tough Voyaging is awesome. It's so leeches. fun. Well, and it's got uh it's got he loves cats too, so that's another tough loves cats. So So is there an importance <laughs> to that or is it just a little addendum that makes you like tough very much cuz you relate also? That's a yeah, the latter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> I, I I love that. Like uh, George is such a smart person to 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 basically just guess at what's happening in the Marianas Trench. It's like, where did our <laughs> krakens come from? They're an ecological response from the planet. It's not even – the collective intelligence doesn't have to be some strange, scary alien force. It was maybe just made by the planet just like we were. And maybe it just seems alien to us because we don't understand it. It's so interesting. Just like Daenerys and Marine. 
Way to bring it back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can do a, a strong Bellas quote. Here we go. Horse meat and onions make you strong, said Bellas. So. Okay. I think we can all get behind that. <laughs> Guys, I really feel like we're getting somewhere today. I mean, it's pretty wild, especially when you look at somebody like Daenerys, who's completely, I mean, who's controlling so much of the narrative of this series, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that us, one of probably the, one of the most anticipated thing in a, in a Song of Ice and Fire is her making her way to Westeros. And so as we inch closer to that, it's pretty wild. And I mean, I know that we always say that we can't completely rely on the show. And I don't think, but I think in broad strokes, you know, we're not too far off from all of our hopes and dreams coming true. So I think this chapter does a good job. If you're curious to maybe give you an idea of how she's going to handle Westeros when Mm -hmm. she gets there, based on what she knows that she doesn't like now, if she's wise enough to resist letting that happen to her again. Yeah. She'll have to put on floppy ears there too. And they're still going to want, they're still going to be asking for ridiculous things and people are still going to try to steer her towards their, their own ambitions. There's going to be lots of brutality and blood. And Danny is just going to get, could you could see her just getting sick of it all and saying, look, I'm going to destroy it all and tear it down and, and we'll start over. <laughs> and, it's like Daenerys with somebody like Littlefinger. He was like trying to, Oh geez. He's trying to do his thing. And she's just like, what? She's like, listen, I met your kind in Karth <laughs> yeah. two and a half books ago. No, yeah, she could you. be like, that, that's a, actually that's a fantastic example because she could be like, look, my best proof that you all have no idea what you're doing and no idea how to rule <laughs> a continent is that this yep. guy Preach. right here. Look Preach. at this man, Littlefinger. <laughs> this guy, you, this man has lots of power in Westeros. He's the right. lord Tons. of the, the Riverlands. He's the lord of the Vale, and he's working on being lord of, of the North. And why again? You know, who's how this is guy? this? If you guys have like, just shows how far gone you are that this guy has all this power and no one's like stopping him at all. It's like. Exhibit A of how screwed up Westeros is, and how everyone's like, "Not my problem, not my <laughs> chair, not my problem." But he loves Catelyn, so it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he is good for he is good for some jokes. <laughs> little finger. I recommend everyone on the, or on the subject of Little Finger to look up Ozzy Man Reviews YouTube channel. His video about Little Finger, if you're interested, it's a great little short film about our favorite little man with a. Big finger. Sorry, little finger. We don't really know about the fingers. You guys want to do owns? You just want to move on to that part of the show? Sure. I think so. Sounds about time. (laughs) Wow. Perfect timing because I just found it. Um, I've been going back and forth. I want to give my own too, but I think I'm going to give my own to the moment that Drogon shows up into the fighting pit. I want to read a part of it. A shadow rippled across his face. The tumult and the shouting died. Ten thousand voices stilled. Every eye turned skyward. A warm wind brushed Danny's cheeks, and above the beating of her heart, she heard the sound of wings. Two spearmen dashed for shelter. The pitmaster froze where he stood. The boar went snuffing back to Varsena. Strong Belwas gave a moan, stumbling from his seat, and fell to his knees. Above them, all the drag. Above them all, the dragon turned dark against the sun. His wings stretched 20 feet from tip to tip, black as a jet. Thunderclap. Yada, 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 continues to go. As he began to feed, he made no distinction between Barsena and the boar. Oh, he's so evil. How dare he eat those corpses? I said this earlier, but I just love that us seeing Drogon for the first time is his shadow. I think it's so cool. Oh, yeah. So my own goes to that. Nice. I guess my... uh... 
I guess my own will go to Danny. It's a pretty, it's pretty low hanging fruit, but I'll, I'll how be many times does it happen though? Honestly, this particular thing. <laughs> yeah. I, it's hard to pick which of Danny's moments in here is the best own, but I think just the most epic of all, just the courage and the certainty, the sense of destiny to ride that dragon. I mean, it's, mm, it's been, we've been waiting for that since she hatched them at the end of book one. So, uh, it's just, it's glorious. It's so like, wow, she's flying on Drogon's back for the first time. And that is awesome. So uh, there's so many like subtle nuanced things in this chapter. I think we did a pretty good job of discussing those, maybe better. But as far as it's like the big epic, I mean, the, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. And there is some serious credit due to riding a damn dragon for the first time finally yeah <laughs> and also for the series to reach that point you, it's like maybe maybe that was just the way it was in tales maybe mm -hmm. we won't be actually riding dragons in a song of ice and fire you know maybe it'll just be a, a humble political but also magical story it's like hell no she's gonna ride the dragon she is going to ride drogon and this may just be the beginning of that it's so funny because this is slightly a tangent before zach you get to your own but Many years ago, when I was dishing out a song of ice and fire for people to read all the time, I had one friend who I kept like giving him each book after he finished. And as I handed him the new book every time, he'd ask, "Does she finally ride the dragon in this <laughs> one?" <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, like, this time, yes. <laughs> close. Yeah, you got to make it towards the end. God, of her. The, the world before we had a million unlimited gifts of. Daenerys riding a dragon or of dragons that were big enough to, you know, sack a city. I remember when they were small. Which brings me to my own, honestly. This is a, a, a worthwhile transition. The honorable mention of this first one. She needs a spear, Sir Barristan said, as Barsena vaulted over the beast's second charge. That is no way to fight a boar. He sounded like someone's fussy old grandsire, just as Dario was always saying. <laughs> I thought it was very cute. Mm -hmm. It was exactly, I thought the same thing. There, that is no way to fight a board. Just like an armchair uh, football coach, basically. Like, look at the way he's throwing. No way. Like, you guys aren't going to get down the field like that. And uh, I think that I'm also going to give my own to Danny for jumping on the dragon and just doing doing what what it took. She ran out there, presumably naked or maybe in her small clothes. I don't know if she took the tow car off completely, but. In true Danny fashion, I think she was topless, which is a great visual for everyone in the fighting pits. Probably the best spectacle of the day. I know I would have been the most most in support of that moment. <laughs> and she goes and faces down Drogon in such a violent and unpredictable way. It's almost unbelievable, but it's also like, what else would she have done? It was either that or it was either die like that, trying to save what she cares about more than anything, or continue to live as those people's slave. And those people are among the lamest people that I've ever read about in books. So I'm glad she did that. Well said. Love it. Z's, I'm so glad to have you use a cheering section. <laughs> I, I think about that, uh, about all the things that you say about this book. How, we have how long have you been knee deep in this, man? I know we've talked about it before, but remind everyone listening. What's your, what's your timeline with the story right now? How many years? Okay. Um, I read the books that were available which is the first three in 2001 so uh i i i was 
I read that when uh, around the time when only the hardcover was out. The paperback of Storm of Swords wasn't out yet, but the hardcover was. So that's that's my distinct timeline. I remember going to the store, the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, when the paperback came out because the paperback was always worth getting. Uh, because they would have the difference between the paperback and the hardcover was that they would add a bonus chapter in, um, and it was the first ever Cersei chapter in the back of the Storm of Swords paperback. Oh man! So, so that was really exciting. I was like, "Oh my god, Cersei!" You get a Cersei so, point of view. You're like, "This is yeah. going to be crazy now." And it's right after Tywin's death, so you definitely want to mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I want to yeah. see what happens here." Yeah, of course. So that was my beginning, and I was I had my own kind of Jon Snow moment where I got I had all these ideas on my own, and I first discovered westros.org the forums and i'm like oh i'm gonna tell these people what's up <laughs> nope, nope, nope 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 so nope super nope very nope <laughs> they educated me i learned so much really quickly i my i had a couple of really bad theories that are uh pretty funny today um some of them weren't that bad but none of them are good <laughs> and um that was my first like realizing how much more there was that was my john snow moment i knew nothing and you know that didn't disappoint me so much as uh i mean it was a little humbling for sure but i was like right. whoa it, mostly it was like wow this is awesome and i want to keep learning about it and i'm hooked and i want to read the books again and when a feast for crows came out i was one of those people that ordered it from england because it came out earlier in england so i got it like a week before it came out in the u.s by ordering it overseas and cool that was totally worth it that's legit <laughs> that is legit so, so how many years have you been doing history of westeros and what made you when you were like, did the forums, did they make you feel a little bit standoffish? And, and you go, I'm just going to make my own thing. Or, what, like, what what was it? What, how well, did it get born? I guess uh, the forums were fine. I like them. Um, it, it, maybe not standoffish, although they're, they can be a little clicky sometimes. But all forums are like that. That's not a Westeros.org thing. That's an all forums thing. They're, that's a really good forum um, overall. Yeah, obviously every forum has a few bad apples. But, um it's high, very intelligent and very thoughtful, and uh, it's how, for example, Radio Westeros formed. They met each other on those forums, right? Um, uh, so, I guess it turned podcasting wise. It, it was kind of an accident. Um, I had a friend of a friend that was podcasting about Game of Thrones. He was inspired by the TV show to read the books, like a lot of people were, and he loved the backstory and wanted to podcast about the backstory. He had already been. Um, part of a podcasting team that covered lost. So he was, oh, cool. our, he had a little, uh, he had some interest in that and he wanted to do some of the same stuff. Like, cause lost has a lot of the same, my fa- uh, other favorite TV show. Right. Like in terms of like theorizing and, and deep oh, yeah, character dude. conflict and, and just like thinking about it a lot. It has that similar kind of energy. And so he was like, we have to go back, but there's no loss. So I have to do something else. Right. Right. <laughs> so, That's what uh, so to me. <laughs> I, I, I came on the, his show lost as a guest. The year before this. <laughs> oh, nice. And, and he was like, okay, he just asked me you're to the join guy full time. Yeah. Unfortunately, this, this part, this friend of ours, Steve has since passed. Um, he, he was, this, he was in the military and he developed some issues and, and he, he, he eventually came down with, uh, stomach cancer. And, uh, yeah, so he's no longer with us, but he started it all. And so I'm eternally thankful for that. But yeah, it's just been a ride since then. Just trying to, just constantly trying to learn more. It's a labor of love, just getting to know the story more and, 
one of the reasons it constantly changes is it's, it has all this longevity. I mean, all of us, not all of us, but a lot of us look at characters differently now than when they were written because society's changed. Like a big example is, is how people look at Tyrion or how people look at Tywin or how people look at uh, characters agency that's a big difference in what we look at like for example uh, related to Tyrion and Tywin Shay a lot of people like the the way people perceive Shay in the fandom has dramatically changed over the past 20 years it used to be she was a bad character who betrayed Tyrion now it's more like Shay had very little agency at any point in the entire story <laughs> it's like well how much can you really put on her at all like the maximum amount and that you know setting that actual argument aside it's just an example of something that is is a part of the fandom that's debated now that wasn't debated before. And of course, at the end of the TV show, we have a whole set of new things to cons- compare to where the books may or may not be going. So it's all, it's so amazing. We, we never run out of things to talk about. It's like the Bible disease. Any good religious text, you know, changes over time and we can pour over it and derive meaning and let our hearts feel good and warm that we're all here together. You're right. It is our Bible. It's just, you know, it's, it's multiple books instead of one, but the Bible was, is, is a combo- combination of multiple books into one too. So that's multiple great... POVs as well with it an is. overarching story yeah. and, a, and a Christ figure. Should we create a different reading order for that? <laughs> yeah. Let's do a, a custom order for the Bible <laughs> next. I want to put revelations like good. four chapters before the end though. Let's be okay. honest. <laughs> it's got lots of violence and war and Prophecy betrayal. I mean, hell, you know, if hell, you guys want that to happen, it. head over to Patreon.com. <laughs> com slash goo and support us generously and we may start breaking down the bible honestly <laughs> hannah's like let's do it my, my theology <laughs> degree <thrive>. is <laughs> yeah she's like oh i'm ready oh, salivating <laughs> <laughs> man well this is fun we still have to do owns i just uh was just thinking about how long we've been friends and talking about this stuff and just like when we started the skype call there was no preamble i was talking to hannah and my last message from you was like i put a gif of someone playing like a flying v and uh you were like hey one second i'm going to qt be right back and i was like classic but that didn't used to be classic you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. heading to quick trip to get gear to get some drinks before you record and now we've got two books still left so (laughs) he really is just (laughs) central to to all this it really is it's one of the greatest places in the world. It's a, a beacon of hope and deliciousness, if everyone's wondering. If there's a, qu- a quick trip near you, I think that you have to live in the states of uh, Arizona has one outside of Phoenix. <laughs> there's Please a, name them all. It's all over. I'll, I'll stop now. But anyway, one of the greatest gas stations of all time. And I think that one of the closest competitors for it are Sheets right now. So if you're a supporter of Sheets or Quick Trip, You've come to the right place. You're among friends. We like Zach and I, I of course, and and Hannah too. We are, we're we're big lovers of of the QT. I just like drinks. Yeah. So it's like there's an unbelievable amount of options there. Like good food, good beverages, some relaxing time to get into the things that you like. Nice vibes. Usually they're doing they're doing their social distancing properly at the one near our house. Like we, go, we don't we try not to go often, but every you know every once in a while we. We stop get some in. Frappuccinos, a, Shea, a Shea goes in and gets, you know, only one of us goes in. <laughs> right. But, uh, oh, she's right here. <laughs> and, uh, she's like, they can't be recording still. Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about QT. <laughs> we, get, we still have to do a few owns from you guys. What were you going to say, Aziz? Oh, nothing. I was just muting to talk to a Shea real quick. Okay. You want to read the first one, Aziz? And then we'll read the, the second two? Sure. The Fattest Leech has two owns. I guess we'll allow that. (laughs) 
To the tattered prince, the manse of Essos, bold as brass, asking for a city. Yes. May the skinner skin him quickly. Right. <laughs> There's a little poem up so, in there. Not the best. He he likes the it's an own, but also not the not a great outlook for this character, according to the fattest leash. I can't disagree with that. And the second one is to the happy ending that is fire and blood, dragon, sexy times. Do it, do it. Not there. A little to the right and straight on till morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little good. sexual. Yeah, it is. Yes, mm. yes, <laughs> a little. It's completely. Okay, it's a lot. Like yes, yes. Oh yes. Take me, take me. Yeah, it's, take it's me. Yeah. Fly me. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Next, we've got Travis Cole at Straight Savage Cole, who says, My own goes to Daenerys for sparing Tyrion and Penny. This is my first time reading the books, and it caught me off guard. Honorary own to Drogon, as I like the difference in the sequence compared to the show. Right on. Yeah, I'm glad that Tyrion and Penny did not perish in that scene, but I really wish that we had that point of view from, awesome. from Tyrion for that. Maybe Holy someday. crap. Uh-huh. Okay, Peter, at P94 at home. It's pretty interesting to see Danny reflecting on Marine this chapter. She's the ruler and is doing her duty, but she's dreading every step, giving this an ominous tone. Owned to GRM, he did a masterful job of showing the lead up to Danny's flight and setting the tone of this chapter. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sitting in those yes. zones, guys. We're, uh, we're, I mean, there is no off season. We're just waiting for the winds of winter to grace us. So <laughs> appreciate you, uh, Sticking with us in the reading through the reading order mm-hmm. till the end. If you want to send in your owns, you can do so in a couple different ways. You can find us on Facebook at Game of Owns. You can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns. Or you can find us on Instagram where sometimes we post pretty good Instagram stories. I do say so myself. Oh, yeah. That's at Game of Owns as well. And uh, I'm doing that solo read through of Azizi. You know about this? I'm doing a... Uh, I, we haven't talked about this yet. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm doing I, I'm doing a a Game of Thrones right now, and I'm just mm-hmm. reading the chapters and just re- talking about it by myself, oh, cool. just like talking to the computer for Patreon, just nice. to try to remember everything a little bit more. I'm having so much fun doing mm, doing these good. chapters more often. It's like, what if I went back and did that? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Hannah was that's like, good. I'm not going to do that with you. So here we are. You didn't ask me to do it with you. You said I want to do it by myself. And I said, great idea. I'll listen to it. And it's really good. Um, go ahead. Next on the podcast, we're going to do Theon 7 in A Dance of Dragons. And if you want to check out our reading order and see where we've been and see where we're going, you can go to afeastwithdragons.com. We're on chapter 98 of this next time. Theon 7. Where are you guys right now on Valar Reredus? We just, just finished the Storm of Swords. As in this right last on. Sunday, we finished Storm of Swords, which is part of why that John what a decision <laughs> was so fresh and that I hadn't noticed how parallel it was to this chapter. So that was a happy coincidence. Um, and so we're doing a wrap up, Storm of Swords wrap up episode on Sunday. Then we go straight. Then we're going to do start in Feast for Crows on, uh, we have a, a regular episode release that's going to come in between the start of feast and the end of uh storm so we'll be starting cool. with feast uh the first sunday i think it's either the last let's see well it doesn't matter it's either it's the last weekend of the month which may technically be next month but whatever no it's the 31st yeah it's the 31st so that's good um and we're doing uh other content at the same time the reread is our focus but we've got the occasional scripted episode coming out on some historical topic here or there 
We've done a Blackwood episode recently. We did an episode of Barristan and Kristen Cole. And we're going to have a short video on Serwin of the Mirror Shield coming out in about a week and a half. And I've also started a podcast on The Witcher. Oh, yeah. With, with oh, Kyle exciting. Foster and McCall. And nice. we are actually, as soon as I get off this call, we are preparing for our Friday recording. We have a little oh, cool. brief chat to just get our document in order. So we're just doing each short story one by one until we get to the main novels. And then we'll just do chapter by chapter because they're about the same length as the uh, – as the novels and um, or as the short stories, each chapter. So that works out really well. I think a lot of the Song of Ice and Fire people would enjoy The Witcher. It's a lot, uh, a lot deeper than a, people a might Shea think. Said because that you were, yeah, into it. Like, I'm super into, into it. it. I love that. Yeah, nice. the, series, I love the, the books. Show. They're they're really funny. Uh, they're super super clever. The writing is really clever, and there's there's a lot of depth to it. More than I think a lot more depth than people would have expected. Given the thing that made it popular in the first place was the video game. Apparently, mm-hmm. it's a really right. good video game. I don't know. I've never even tried it, but people have told um, me to play it over the years, and then they said to read it, and then they said to watch yeah. the show. I feel like it's there's just like been perpetually uh, encouraged to check it out. And I've well, I love the show. It, it was written in the '80s. This this predates Game of Thrones. We have to go back, Aziz. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's but it's but it was written in Polish, so they did not influence each other because they're like I, like unless George was reading Polish and hmm. looking for ideas in this Polish fantasy novel, I kind of doubt that. But uh, it wasn't translated till the two thousands. So you know, there's some there's a few things they have in common, but it's more like common influences rather than you know they borrowed from each other because they couldn't have overlapped very much given the language barrier. So that's kind of mm-hmm. neat. Nice. That's interesting. Aziza show is different from ours in that they do a ton of different kinds of episodes. And you guys have that all sorted on your YouTube channel. And that's also different. You guys have been on video pretty much the whole time. And yeah. you've got the maps of different regions of Westeros behind you. And it's now at this point just ingrained, <laughs> man. You know, like that's a staple of this fan community. And I just think it's, I, it's I think really it's really awesome. But it's turned into that. Yeah, you know? I it's, totally agree. It's so cool. It's I love so the cool. work that you guys do. Do you want to, Aziz, do you want to plug like your social handles and stuff? So if people so much. for some reason aren't familiar, they can find you. Yeah. We're basically either Westeros history or history of Westeros everywhere. That's Facebook, uh, Twitter, mm, Discord slack youtube itunes any pl- podcast platform you can find us as history of westeros you guys also go live by the way you guys record episodes live too yeah yeah we do the, and you guys the, have a chat that people can meet each other in and hang out on sunday live streams we do every three every sunday at three eastern is when we do our reread stream and it gets edited down into a podcast version afterwards so it's a little tighter it gets rid of some of the pauses and ums and uhs and mistakes so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like we took the live recording concept and just decided to do that public, and then you know, just use that, use the YouTube as our recording session. You guys are doing great work. I love any time we can collaborate with you. I yes, like it's so much. Ditto, thanks, for, thanks for coming yeah. on, man. It's it's it's. I wish we could you know be hanging out in person, but this is I know certainly good. This is certainly great, even though it could you know we wish it could be a little more. Well, Lachey <laughs> was here in quarantine, yeah, so right? why, why can't you? you come? <laughs> <laughs> that was planned so far in advance. Yeah, that was like, I know this trip is maybe not the best timing, but it worked out right at the beginning. Crazy time, wild time. Yeah. I hope that we get Ice and Fire Con in October, and if anyone is on the fence about going, if it's possible to go and it's safe. Just come because it'll be cathartic and everyone. I mean, it'll probably be the best one after all this. This is such an unprecedented time. 
for People all are of us. So ready to socialize, yeah. Yeah, I know. If, if it's safe and stuff, I don't know about any of this stuff. So I'm just going to stick yeah, to talking about a song of ice and fire on this show for y'all, and uh, just hope everything's okay. And same can be said for Dragon Con, by the way, because that's where Aziz lives, and we'll all be down there crashing yeah. at his house and going to that con if it's possible. So thanks for the crash space <laughs> as well, Did you just invite Aziz. yourself over? <laughs> I thought I... No, I was already invited. <laughs> you definitely can. It's an open invitation. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch all you later. Bye. Yeah. Wow, that was fun. That was fun. That was really fun. <laughs>